Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Howdy! Oh, guys, y'all were up late watching the game. Was everyone up late watching the game? Yeah, you were. Okay, and so fourth quarter, amazing. Oh my gosh, that was ridiculous. So it's been a fun, fun time. Thank you for braving uh, the crazy and coming and joining with us this morning. Um, any of you guys drive back from, our, from, uh, from Dallas, from the game? Oh, troopers, troopers right there. Yeah, okay. Oh my goodness, goodness. Thank you guys. Braving the traffic to get the way all the way here late at night. I'm sure you went to bed promptly at 4 a.m. and popped up. Rosie for this morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 105, Psalm 105. I'm going to read a little bit for us, and, uh, and then we will dive in with some energy and excitement. And by the end of it, I hope you'll be screaming. So that's the goal for this morning, all right? Just like you were last night, by the end of it, you're screaming really loud. Uh, that's the goal for this morning. You ready for that? Just wait till we get to the end, and that will change, all right? Psalm 105, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read about seven verses for us. And it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deed among the, deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Explanation point. Rejoice, seek the Lord and his strength and seek his presence continually. Mine has another explanation point. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abram, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. That is an intro, people. That is an exciting intro. And he says, verse 7, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute. And as you're reading this, you're supposed to go, okay, those are our history. Those are our line. Okay, okay. You're supposed to get excited. And what he's trying to get us to do in this psalm is to remember who we are and where we come from. What he is trying to get us to do in the psalm is to remember who you are. And if you know who you are and where you've come from, you have a reason to celebrate. But oftentimes we forget who we are. Uh, I have little kids. Right now, just about all of them are sick. One has hand, foot, and mouth. One has croup. And so it was a fun weekend in the Barra house this weekend. Let me tell you about that, okay? So uh, Jesse has croup, and it's a seal cough. So he sounds like a dying seal every time he coughs. He's three years old, which is pretty cute. And, uh, and he also has... Um, he, his voice is raspy now, which is really cute for a three-year-old, but he can barely get the words out of his mouth. He goes, can you get me my dodo? You know, that's his like little toy thing. And I'm like, oh, buddy, you're so cute in your sickness. Um, maybe you'll sleep well tonight. Uh, and then Juliet, my uh, 10-month-old daughter, has uh, hand, foot, and mouth. And so she has little red dots that hurt her all over her body, which is awesome, awesome. 
And what's cool about that is that I, is, is that literally at, at, when I'm sitting at home, I'm like, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do this weekend? What am I supposed to do today? I'm supposed to remember who you are and who I am and you. But if you're like me, sometimes things come into your life that kind of hits you off course. Sometimes things come into your life and lead you in a different direction. Sometimes praise isn't the first thing to come into your mind. Sometimes it's a little bit of self-pity. You ever been there? Well, what's so interesting uh, for me is that when I have these little kids, is we watch movies, especially when they're sick. And one movie that we watch is The Lion King, okay? Oh, you know it's good, all right? And you watched it as a little kid, and you may not care as much now, but when you were a little kid, that movie was epic. And I love the storyline. I mean, the storyline of this young lion cub who is destined to be king, but through some tragic events, ends up running from his family, running from his neighborhood, running from all the people he was with, and he runs to a new crew and embraces a new life. I mean, and it wasn't all bad, right? He got to hang out with a warthog and a meerkat, singing Nakum Namatata. You know, it was kind of cool for him. But then someone wrecked into his life and said, and, and shocked him awake and said, Simba, this isn't all you were destined to be. This isn't all you're, you're supposed to be in your life. You're destined for something great. You are in the line of the king, and right now you're settling for eating grubs in the wilderness with a meerkat and a warthog. Not all bad, but playing in the mud isn't all you were destined to do. And Simba's like, I don't know, Nala, I don't know. She's like, come back. And it wasn't until Rafiki comes to him and leads him up, to like this water and to this moment. He says, Simba, look into the water. I want you to remember who you are. And it was this moment in his life when, when, when he for, had forgotten his destiny. He forgot who he was created to be. He forgot who he could be in the world. And he, he settled for lesser things. And I think for many of us, I, I think as we get into the grind of the semester, as we get into the grind of college, sometimes it can become so difficult to remember who we're, we were created to be. But if you don't know who you are, you won't know why you're here. And if you don't know why you're here, you won't know what you're here to do. I was reading a book by a, a psychologist. She's a, a Christian psychologist, and her name is Kara Powell. And she wrote a book called Growing Young. And she's looking at churches and how they attract young people. And, and, and she said this, young people are asking these three questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. She says, young people want to know who I am, where do I fit in, and what can I do to make a difference? And what I love about this text is that this text answers those questions. This text answers the questions of who you are, where you belong, and the purpose that you can chase in life. And for, me, for all of us, I think it's, it's helpful to have like a, a resetting moment. What is my identity? Who am I? What is my story? What do I belong in? And thirdly, what is my trajectory? What, what am I chasing in life? What is the goal of this life? And I love this psalm because it gives us answers to those primary questions that we all have. And the first question it answers is this, is your identity. And your identity is something that you receive. Now, I say that your identity is something that you receive, but immediately, if you're, if you're a thinking person, what, you, what you've heard most of your life isn't identity is something you receive. Identity for most of our worlds is something that you create. 
It's something you create for yourself. You create your own identity. In fact, an American uh, philosopher named Thomas Nagel says it this way. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures because comets struck the earth and wiped out dinosaurs, thereby giving mammals a chance not otherwise available. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. We cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature. We must construct these answers for ourselves. What Thomas Nagel is saying, an an atheist philosopher, he's saying, look, if you want to know where meaning in life comes from, it comes from you. You've got to make it up for yourself. Your own constructed meaning is all that really matters. But how is that working for us? You ever wondered? How is created meaning working for us? Well, I'll tell you this. Any identity that's based on the activities you engage in will end in tragedy. Any identity you create is an identity that will change, and that change can be crushing. So if you have an identity based in your life in high school, you've already experienced this. You graduated high school. Thank God. Some of you crushed high school, and you're like, oh, I owned it. That was amazing. Others of you, you're like, I'm glad I got a do-over. Ding, you know? But you had an identity in high school, and some of you were the cute girl. Like, you were always known as the cute girl. As soon as you walked into the room, they're like, oh, she's so cute. Oh, my gosh, I hate her, right? And that was you. Some of you were like smart guy, right? You always busted the curve in every class that you took because you were smart guy. Some of you were athletic dude. You're like, yeah, you know, I can dominate you in whatever sport we play. Boom. And then you got here, and your letter jacket isn't cool anymore, right? You may have worn it the first couple weeks of class. Freshman, I'm sorry to break this in on you. You're going to wear it that first cold day, and everyone's going to go, (laughs) freshman, you don't get it. Because that identity is no longer working today. You transition. And those transitions in life can be terrifying for you because what you were doesn't work now. And I tell you what, any created identity will crush you. If your identity is in celebrity, Madonna says it this way. She's a singer. You familiar with her? Okay. She says this, I have an iron will. And all of my life has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. If your identity is in your celebrity, when that spotlight fades, it is crushing. But what about in your financial security? Some of you are in school, and you're just like, don't worry about it, Kevin. I'm not, I don't want to be a celebrity. I'm just going to own millions and own everyone in this room. It's going to be great. They're all going to be working for me later on, right? After the global economic crisis in 2008, according to um, Tim Keller's book, um, 
He says this, there was a string of suicides of formerly wealthy, well-connected individuals. The acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, the federal home and loan mortgage, hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal royalty and leading families had lost $1.4 billion of his clients' money in Bertie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. And he slid his wrist in, Madison Avenue, in his Madison Avenue office. A Danish senior executive with HSBC Bank hanged himself in the wardrobe of his $500,000 a night suite in Kingsbury, London. And when Bear Stearns learned that he would not be able to hire, be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, he had bought his collapsed firm and he took a drug overdose and leapt from the 29th floor of his office building. A friend said that this loss of money broke his spirit. See, if our hope is in money, in any created thing, when that thing breaks, so will we. And it will break. In fact, even if you're banking on your intelligence, I mean, you're at a premier university. Some of you are in engineering or one of those majors. You're biology. You're going to crush it. And you're just like, well, Kevin, I'm not more about money. I'm just smart, dude. It's interesting. I read an article um, in The Crimson. The Crimson is the Harvard newspaper, and it's written by students. And the students at Harvard write this. The competitive nature of the school made me think that I wasn't doing enough. Sound familiar? And wasn't involved enough, and wasn't achieving enough, and wasn't getting high enough grades. All that kind of wore on me, and my mental state deteriorated over time. I felt like I was the only one for a while. It's at Harvard. You know the hard part about Harvard? Everyone going to Harvard is in the top percent of their class, top 10%. But 90% of the students of, at Harvard will not be in the top 10%, right? 50% of them will be in the bottom half, right? You don't have to go to Harvard to do that math in your head. You can know that you can't be top of the class. Not everyone can be. And when that reality hits you, it can be completely crushing. See, any identity that's created will change. And that change can be crushing. When you're not the prettiest anymore, you're not the smartest anymore, you're not the most well-connected anymore, when your identity is in that, it will change and will crush you. And it's why the Bible so often points to identity. You see, as this psalm opens up, it talks about the people that they are, the line that they're in. Your, your sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and what he says is this, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are on all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham. He sworn his promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel, an everlasting covenant, what he is saying is the song that we sing is the identity we receive. The song that we sing is about the identity we receive. See, what he's telling them is this, look, you got to know who you are. And more important, who you are, you need to know whose you are. Your identity is found fully and solely in Christ. And some of you may push back and say, Kevin, 
Abraham's not my great-great-granddaddy, right? I don't know who Isaac is. I'm not even in that stream of Jewish people. And then I would simply point you to Ephesians chapter 2, and it says this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Hey, unless you're Jewish, you are alienated from God. But it says this having no hope and without God in the world. Well, that's not a fun identity at all. But he goes on. But now, it's a great but now. If you have it in your Bible, you want to circle that, circle that but now in Ephesians 2. It's a great but now. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. We were separated. We were not the people of God, but in Christ we've been brought in. And when you receive that identity, you receive security. God puts you in Christ. He puts you in Christ so that you would have an entirely new identity found in him. And when you embrace that identity, that roots you in an entirely new history. I have friends of mine that have uh, adopted kids. And I, I, love, I love the process of adoption. And I, I hear stories all the time of, of what it's like to, to take a kid whose family maybe is, was, was abusive or disinterested or just couldn't care for this child. And then I see the parents that bring this kid in. And what's, what's so interesting is you, as, you, as you talk to a, kids that are adopted, what they always want to know is this, what were my parents like? What, what was my mom like? What was my dad like? Because e- even though they're in a new loving home, they still want to know what their past was like. And I've talked with some, and when they, when they meet that, that past, it's, it's very broken. It's very hurtful. In fact, as I talk to my friends who have adopted kids, they're just like, I, I don't, I'm afraid of what it might look like when they meet them. Because it's not a history of joy, it's a history of tragedy. But when you're in Christ all that history gets wiped away and you get put into an entirely new story. See, when you embrace an identity in Christ, he puts you in an entirely new group of people. It's not a, it is a broken past, but it's a broken past that God is healing. It's that past. It's the past of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the past of the patriarchs. It's the past that has a hope built into it. And if you embrace this identity, you are put in an entirely new story. And every great mythical hero follows this same line. Luke Skywalker discovers that he is in the line of the Jedis, right? Superman discovers he's an alien from outer space, like when he starts kind of throwing cars around. It's kind of cute. And he realizes that he's sent to this world for a better place. Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon 2 discovers that his mama loved dragons as well, and all of a sudden it all makes sense to him, right? Harry Potter realizes that he's a wizard. 
And that new story changed his life. And I'll tell you what, when you embrace the story that God is writing in this world, you see yourself in the place, you see yourself that you're in a story of liberty. Because there's one story that God is writing. He's writing a story of liberty. And if you were to read on in this text, you would see over and over and over again the celebration of the freedom that God brings. I mean, you see first in Psalm 105 verse 12, it says, look, when they were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked their kings of their, on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do, do my prophets no harm. The first thing that we see in this section is that he makes victims into victors. You see what he says? When you are few in number of little account. When God talks to Israel, he's always talking to a people that are obscure and marginalized. He says, I didn't love you because you were the greatest number. In fact, you were the fewest. I didn't love you because you were the most powerful. In fact, you were the weakest. And God loves the weak and he reaches in to make them strong. See, God always protects the little guy. But not only do victims become victors, secondly, the lowly become kingly. The next storyline he traces is the storyline of Joseph. And in verse 16, it says this, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass and the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The rulers of the people set him free. He made him lord over his house and a ruler over his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. He traces the line of Joseph, a man who was betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, who then rose to be king, a lowly man who became king. And then the biggest chunk of verses goes really to the center of their narrative, to the man Moses. And he traces their line, the story of Moses. And you know the story. It's, it's an oppressed people, oppressed by the nation of Egypt. They are, they are lowly people being oppressed and condemned by Egypt. And then suddenly a, a hero arises. Miracles rescue them. And you see a daring escape. At the end of it, verse 41, you see that they, they walked across the river into freedom. And you see this storyline play out of people that were oppressed, that were given freedom. Slaves that became free. All the parts of a great movie, right? Oppressed people that are rescued. The other day, I was having a conversation with my six-year-old daughter, Peyton. And we're reading the book of Genesis. And this is like my first time to to be reading the Bible with a six-year-old. I've never done that before right now. And I'm reading the Bible to her, and we're reading through some of these stories, and she goes, okay, Daddy, are they even real? And I'm like, oh, gosh. I've told her the Easter Bunny's real. I've told her Santa's real. I've set my up for, myself up for failure in this moment, right? And I'm like, these stories are real, baby. And she's like, yeah, yeah, but they sound kind of like movies, you know? They sound like the storyline of, of, of any movie that you see. And I'm like, yes, you're brilliant. They are just like a great movie. And she's like, yeah, but, it, but, it, but movies aren't all real. I'm like, you're right. Zootopia is not based in fact. Um, 
Simba didn't really, you know, go through this. They don't talk, you know, so there's, there's you know, it's hard. Um, but, but these are real. In fact, these are what J.R.R. Tolkien calls true myths. Myths that seem too good to be true. G.K. Chesterton was a, was a brilliant um, apologist in his day. He has an argument with, with another guy, and the guy says, look, the stories that you see in the Bible, man, they're like repeated by all sorts of pagan people. Like, it can't be real. And he says, he says, actually, the reverse of what you're saying is also true. We don't say that people don't fall in love just because we always hear stories of people falling in love. We see people falling in love. We tell that story again and again because it's based in truth. See, the Bible is the real truth. Everything else is a story of it playing out how it could be, how it, how it ought to be. The truth is in the scripture. We are all just looking at that story saying, there is a darkness in the world, there is slavery out there, and we want a hero to step in and save. And every great movie you watch is a story of people that were oppressed that overcome. People that were lost that are found. People that are enslaved that are brought to be free. And that's the story of Christ, right? He was a lowly king. He was born in a manger, and he rose in victory on the cross. And he's the one who sets people free. If you look at the life of Jesus when he is feeding the 5,000, everyone knows what's going on in that moment, except us at this point in history. He, he literally breaks the bread and feeds all of these people. And at the end of it, the people all walk up to Jesus and they're like, like hey man, uh, did all the bread go yesterday? What's going on? And he's like, he's like what, what do you want? He's like, um, well, Moses fed the people in the wilderness for, I don't know, like 40 years. What do you got? Bread number two. I want some donuts, maybe some coffee here this morning. That'd be awesome. He says, ah, oh, you're missing it. You're missing it. There is one greater than Moses in your midst but I'm here to bring you freedom, not just food. I'm here to rescue you, not just give your sustenance needs. I'm here to give you full freedom. And I tell you what, when you embrace that story, that there's a king sent to rescue, you'll know that God is two things for you. He is your provider and he is your protector. He has provided everything you need in Christ and he will protect you. In fact, that's what this entire section is about. Every moment, they're in danger, and God says, look, I'm going to save you. Every moment, they're in trial, and God says, I'm going to protect you. I will provide everything you need, and I'll protect you in the midst of it. And I'll tell you what, you have been given everything you need in Christ. That's why over and over and over again in the Bible, it says you are in Christ, you're in him, and this frees you from a life of futility. Because if the author has written you a place in the story, you know every moment of your life is shot through with meaning. If you know that you have a place in the story, you know that your life matters. And you need to know that. Because you're in college. And there's one question that will be asked of you nearly every week from here until the day that you cross that finish line of graduation and get that diploma in hand. And what is that question? What's your major? That's number one. And what's the second question you'll be asked? What are you going to do? What is your major? What are you going to do? Come on, 20-year-olds. What's your answer to that question? Um, I'm going to let the Lord guide my steps. Um, 
trusting in his path for me. I don't want to clutch too tightly to anything because uh, you got nothing to clutch to. I don't want to talk about that right now. And oftentimes it can feel like your moments have no meaning, right? You're sitting in a class going like, is this professor going to drone on and on and on? And am I going to have to write that paper and take that test? Oh my gosh. And it feels meaningless. But that's not the end of your story. You're part of a big one. And you've got a place in it. God hasn't forgotten you. And it's also saved us secondly from a life of obscurity. Not only do you have a place in the story, secondly, the author remembers your name. In fact, verse 42, it says this, For he remembered his holy name, and Abram his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones singing. See, I, I tell you what, I, I can't believe, so many times in my time in college, I felt like the time was futile and I was obscure. <laughs> I felt like, what am I doing, and who am I supposed to be? Because I had this story that God wasn't telling. But when I embraced his story, I embraced a life of meaning and purpose. Because thirdly, he tells us what we're here to do. You're here in his, as part of his people. He is your provider and protector. And lastly, he tells you what you're here to do, your trajectory. Verse 42, he remembered his holy promise. And Abram, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones singing. And he has given them all the lands of the nations that he might keep his statutes and observe the laws. And the point of life is this, that you would be a people of praise. Now I say that, that you would be a people of of praise. I guarantee you, as I was preparing this and I read that, I went, that sounds lame, Kevin. Because what I want to write is you're going to be Iron Man. You're going to be Thor. You're going to be Black Widow, right? I want to give like something better than that, than a people of praise. But I tell you what, you were created to praise. It's why you watch the sports that you do. You're created for it. So I, I can't imagine any of you were watching the game last night and went, oh, fascinating, he ran for 20 yards. That was a good catch. Hmm. Oh, incredible, um, he, uh, he kicked a field goal. That's, that puts us up again. Okay, that's good. Oh, Trevor Knight, oh, man, he just lit up the scoreboard. 45 points, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty solid, pretty solid performance. I can't imagine a single one of you responding in that way to that game. In fact, if I had been at your house when you were watching it with your buddies, it probably went something like this. <gasps> oh my gosh, we're going to win. We're going to play Argus. Oh, come on. You know, it, it was something on that end of the spectrum and not the other. And girls are like, I wasn't like that, but I had some of you at my house the other week. And you were yelling at my screen like, oh my gosh, boys, come on, let's do it. And I'm like, this little 100-pound girl is going to like tell that lineman what to do, right? And I look at that, I'm like, I'm like this is it. You were created to celebrate. You were created to praise. You were created to, to engage with excitement the things that you, you see. Every one of us has. And it's even supported by science. Did you know that? It's even supported by science. There was two psychologists, uh, Dr. Robert E. Emus and Dr. Michael McCullough. 
And they got together to do this study and they split several hundred people into three different groups and all were instructed to keep a daily gratitude journal, right? All of your little praises, you wrote them down. And they wrote this, daily gratitude writing resulted in higher reported levels of alertness, enthusiasm, determination, optimism, and energy. Even better than those in the gratitude group experienced less depression and stress and were more likely to help others. Isn't that crazy? If you are people of praise, you will be better people. The reason you like watching the football game is because suddenly there's a, a community around and you can celebrate those athletes. You're like, this is it. This, this feels better. If you just are people of praise, immediately it will change the environment of every room you walked into. It will. I mean, have you ever tried the opposite? Have you ever been in a moment where people aren't praising? It's difficult. Have you been in a moment in class, maybe once or twice, where you sit down and, and immediately the, the emotion doesn't go to praise, it goes to problems, right? What do they do immediately in class? Oh man, I can't believe we got this lecture. Oh man, we got a test next week. Are you ready? I'm not ready. We're all gonna fail, every one of us. Hey, you're gonna graduate next week, right? Not next week, but whatever. You graduate next week. You know what you're gonna do? No, you don't. Yeah, you're probably gonna live with your parents. Probably gonna be there till you're 45. Probably gonna die alone. Yeah. My car broke down the other day. My car always breaks down. It's because I have terrible cars and terrible luck. The Lord hates me. Everyone hates me. You wanna be around that guy, that girl? but you've been that guy and that girl, haven't you? Have you ever experienced the opposite? Someone who only had something good to say in every situation, it would be awkward. Man, the test is gonna be so hard tomorrow. Yeah, but at least we get to learn. <laughs> huh? My car broke down. Yeah, but that enabled the community of believers to come around you and help fix your car. Wasn't that sweet? Mm. I didn't get any sleep last night. I know, but you got to stay awake. How fun was that? <laughs> it feels weird. Why? Because we are people that constantly focus on the problems. We rarely focus on the praise. But I tell you what, praise is where God wants you to be. Because praise is the culmination of enjoyment. In fact, C.S. Lewis says it this way. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. And to come suddenly at the turn of the road and see some beautiful mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have have to keep silent because the people around you don't care about it. The old Scottish catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall know then that these are the same thing. Full enjoyment is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify God, God is inviting us in to enjoy him. You see, you were created to praise Praise is the fulfillment of the enjoyment of anything you're experiencing. So what are you experiencing? 
you are experiencing life in God. And there's one passage from Romans that I think sets this up better than anything else in the Bible. In fact, for me, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39 is my favorite section of Scripture. And the reason I love this section of Scripture is because it gives us hope in a trajectory of life. It gives us something to praise. And it begins in verse 31 this way. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? So who shall separate us from the love of God? And this statement in Paul's writing, I guarantee it's asking for a response. I mean, when he writes it this way, he's wanting an emotional response to these statements. And I tell you what, if we respond emotionally, it will get into our hearts and minds the truths of who God is. And so what I want us to do now is actually respond in celebration and respond to these words. Can you do it? Can you praise? So there's questions and they act, they need a response. So the answer is no one. Or it won't, right? So who will separate us from the love of Christ? No Shall tribulation? No. no. Or distress? No. Or persecution? No. Or famine? No. Or nakedness? I don't know why there's nakedness in there. Or danger? <laughs> or danger? Or sword? No. Oh, no. Probably not. No swords. Probably not. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And if nothing can separate you from God, then you've got nothing to fear. And the trajectory of your life is a life of praise. What are you going to be doing in heaven? Praising. The consummation of enjoyment of God is a life of praise. So what do we do on this earth? We praise. I love Jim Elliott. He says it this way. We're a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody who will save anybody. And your days on this earth are meant to shout and celebrate the things that God can do. And to shout and celebrate who God is to you. I tell you what, you've been given an entirely new identity. You are placed in an entirely new story. And your trajectory, if you will embrace it, is to live a life of praise. And if we do that, we will change this world. Because the world longs for people to bring a life worth celebrating. You have everything you need in Christ. I'll explain it to you this way. God gives you everything that you need. If God thought you needed a better butt, would he not give it to you? If God thought you needed a better car, would he not give it to you? If God thought you needed a better iPhone or a better job or a better plan in future, would he not give it to you? You see, God is a good dad. He is your provider and protector, and he loves you as you are, and he gives you everything you need in Christ. He puts you in the one place he can bless you. He puts you in Christ. 
He puts you in the one place where all your needs can be met. He puts you in Christ. He puts you in the one place where your future is secure. He puts you in Christ. And that is a God worth praising. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us everything that we need in Christ. And Lord, I, I confess that my, my natural bent isn't always toward praise, but I know I need to praise you even in the darkness. And so Lord, I pray that as we get in our discussions together and we talk about you, that you would stir into our minds reasons to praise that we're forgiven in Christ, we're given freedom by your spirit, we're enabled to live the life you're calling us to live. And I pray, I ask that we could be people of praise. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. Hello and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. I'm Victoria Lorenz. And I'm Kevin Barra. And we are so glad you're here on the back part of our sermons this week. And our goal is to dig a little deeper into the messages and give some information about upcoming events in our college ministry. Yeah, we uh, normally hear Jacob and I are doing this, but we are excited for Victoria to jump in. Jacob's a little sick today and so was unable to join us. But uh, we both had some fun sermons this Sunday, and uh, we're continuing our, our journey in the, in the Psalms. And we went through Psalm 105 this week, both at uh, Southwood Campus and Anderson Campus. And, and it, was, it was exciting. Um, it was an interesting topic as, as we were talking about, really, identity in Christ. And one of the challenging parts, uh, as, as I was thinking about this, this part of Psalms where it talks about who you are as God's people, and then who we are as Christians in Christ, really that hit college students right in the center of where they are. I mean, college is that time when you're just trying to figure out who I am, who am I, what am I here to do, what's my purpose? And, uh, and what was so interesting is to see the students' responses as we really dug into the idea of identity. Yeah, and I just think as college students, when we walk onto campus, we identify ourselves by our major or what year we are, mm. and that is not what defines us, because if we define ourselves by that, we're going to fail. But if we identify ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ, even when we do fail, there's always something to celebrate, and it's about Jesus, and it's not about our strengths or what we can create or conquer. It's yeah. about Him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was so interesting, Victoria, as we were able to to even talk with college students on the tail end mm-hmm. of, of the sermons, just to kind of see them wrestling with that. Even some younger students, some freshmen that I talked to, said, "Wow, this I'm kind of in a in a tailspin or a, a redefining moment because everything from high school is past, and I'm trying to redefine who I am in the present." And it was just it, I just felt like it was a really timely message. I'm really thankful that we were able to talk about this at this time. Uh, the big tagline that I kind of centered on, I thought was helpful, was that any identity you create is an identity that will change, and that change can be crushing. But as we were talking with students, uh, if you can have an identity that's rooted in Christ, that that identity won't change, and therefore you can have stability even in the midst of the storms of life. And so, it was helpful to get that message across. I hope that was clear um, through our sermons, and and as you listen to them, I really hope that that it's helpful as you are entering college and trying to identify who you are, 
that you could hold on to the root of Christ even in the midst of those mm-hmm. of those struggles. So cool part, though, uh, on the events side, we do have a fun, fun event we want to push this week coming up, and it is called Girls Night. Yeah, Girls Night, it's going to be this Thursday, September 29th. We are super pumped about it. It's going to be starting at 6 p.m. in downtown in downtown Bryan at the Grand Stafford. Oh, that's going to be so fun. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. So what's cool about uh, Girls Night is that we pick a theme each year. And so what is the theme this year, Victoria? This year, it's Heart, Mind, and City. And we're going to have three guest speakers that will give a TED Talk style for about 20 minutes on each one. And the thing is, is even if you can't go to one or all three, we are planning on recording them. So it's the best thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, so so basically you come to the event, you go to the Grand Stafford Theater, you uh, pick one of the talks to to sit through. It starts at 6. After after those talks, what's going to happen next? Yeah, the girls get to go out. You get to go out and grab dinner or drinks or desserts at the local restaurants in downtown Bryan, and you get to talk about what the message you just heard, and you just get to dig a little bit deeper. Gosh, that's so good. And I can't think of anything better to do on Friday night than to hear some amazing talks from some great speakers and then to have girl time on I the agree. tail end. I agree. It's going to be popping. <laughs> it's going to be so great. Hey, hope to, that you can uh, join us there. And it's always, always very impactful night. Um, one thing, though, that we've heard there's some several events also that Thursday night that are going on. And so what if, Victoria, I've got another event later that night? You can do both. This this event is not going to last the whole two hours. You get to go for the talk, and if you need to slip out or leave early at those restaurants or the local coffee shops, you can. So That's please great. feel like you can come and do both. That's great. That's great. So, yeah, an event you definitely don't want to miss, and if you got something pressing that night, you can definitely do both. So we hope, hope, hope to see you there. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College Podcast. We hope to see you again next week. Bye.